why I say that, because technically this isn't live, this is recorded. <laughs> but it's just something I say, I started saying, so I'm just going to keep saying it. We're, we're live in our own world. Well, because we are live right now. We are live. We're just not live to our listeners. But you know what? <laughs> that, that, that's a good point. Me and Stacy are live. Yes, right yes. And hopefully they're feeling that live energy that we have. Uh, we have a really great topic of discussion. And I... Um, oh, Torn, did you make some changes to the topic? No, that was, that, that was, that was, uh, that was you. Oh, I don't think I wrote that. I thought I put something else. No, that was oh, you. Oh, I did put that. <laughs> That's so funny. Okay, sorry. So, ladies and gentlemen, we, we, we don't, we, we don't put much planning into this. We sort of just turn it on. We, we, we have, we generally discuss, uh, what do we want to discuss? Okay, this topic, cool. And then we just, the camera just starts rolling. Oh. So this is basically live. We don't edit any of this stuff. So it really is live. This is it. But hear, today, here's what we are talking about functioning labels. And why we don't like functioning labels. Why I don't like functioning labels. Why we don't want to use functioning labels. Why I do understand functioning labels medically for benefits have a purpose and and all of that nonsense, but um, yeah. Why is it people are talking about functioning labels? What's all the fuss about functioning labels, Torin? Well, I think the first thing we should define is what functioning labels are. Mm -hmm. Functioning labels is the term used in the autistic community um, for things like when someone says someone is high-functioning autistic or has classical autism mm -hmm. or is profoundly autistic, which believe it or not, is an actual medical term, mm -hmm. profoundly autistic. The idea of functioning labels is it allows you to basically say a word and give people sort of a mental image of the developmental level of the person you're talking about. Yes, and typically people associate the wording around the level with someone's intellect or communication abilities, which that's, you know, problematic within itself. I will say what just popped in my head uh, in terms of, I hadn't really thought about this when I've had previous discussions around functioning labels, but I've worked as a speech therapist with children with very uh, disabilities. And if I just think about kids that I've worked with who are Down syndrome and no one ever says functioning labels around kiddos that have Down syndrome. I mean, I, I just have never heard, oh, they're a high-functioning Down syndrome kid. Oh, they're low-functioning. No one ever says that. And so once again, it's almost like this uh, focus on autism because it's so misunderstood that people have to like make all of these uh, various labels about their functioning. And typically it's also looked at from a behavior perspective, right? Like. A child who is, you know, having more meltdowns or banging their head on the wall or whatever it is that people deem as, oh my gosh, this is profoundly horrific. Uh, I don't know, Torin. I just thought about that. And the big issue with functioning labels, why we're both against it, why most of the autistic community is against it. I'm sure a lot of parents are wondering right now. It's like, well, what's wrong with that? I have a child who's nonverbal. Mm -hmm and who has the mental age of a five-year-old and mental age is a whole different topic yes. that we're probably not going to get into here and who struggles with things like potty training and 
can't tie their own shoes, etc. They are profoundly autistic. What's wrong with saying that? Well, a bunch of things. And in this episode, <laughs> we're going to break that down. Yes. The biggest issue with autism, and you must always understand, is nothing is linear or straight or angular when it comes to autism. There's no sort of uh, rubric or in video games like a, a stat sheet that describes an autistic person. Autistic people and their various functionings and various skill sets in life will vary day by day. Mm -hmm. The problem, for example, with autistic assessments, things like level one, two, and three, is it basically is just monitoring what sort of day the autistic person is having on the day they're being assessed. Our sort of functioning, for lack of a better word, ebbs and flows. So big issue. So that that is one of the big issues. There's also sort of a supremacy aspect to it, where someone who is high functioning or Asperger's, which is no longer considered an actual disorder, at least in America, it's not an official disorder. It's basically saying, well, I'm different than the rest of them because when you think of autism, let's be honest, what do most people think? If they they don't if they they have relatively little exposure to actual autistic people, they're thinking. Meltdowns. Yes. The meltdown videos everyone sees on social media. It's why you shouldn't post those yes. because that's that's what's getting to the mainstream. The meltdown videos, the pulling on a parent's arm because they can't articulate they want something, and the parent, for some reason, always in those videos, not being smart enough to figure out they want something, even though it's obvious. Things like that. And when you think of Asperger's, you think of Sheldon from The Big Bang Theory. Mm -hmm. You think of Einstein. Yep. You think of. Some people have said Thomas Jefferson might have been might have had Asperger's. Do you think of sort of just kind of quirky and socially awkward, but really smart and really productive? Sort of not a burden on the people around them, mm -hmm. just different. That wasn't always how it was when I when I was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome. We were basically just seen as like walking meltdowns. They occasionally could talk, <laughs> but times have changed. So that's another reason. A final reason, and well, not a final reason, but a third reason before I, I shut up because I'm rambling, is it can often mask the real struggles an autistic person's having. As Stacy mentioned a couple minutes ago, functioning, le functioning labels are often based off of communication ability, in particular verbal communication ability. Mm -hmm. Basically, if you can talk like I can, you're going to get called high-functioning. Guaranteed. Doesn't matter anything. Doesn't matter if you can't if you're not potty trained, if you can't tie your shoes, if you're a drug addict. Like most people will agree that a drug addict who's who <laughs> who isn't financially independent and maybe either on the streets or having to live with somebody is not high functioning. Yet they it's not because 'cause they're not just not functioning well, their life is in shambles. Yet they will be considered a high functioning autistic if they are autistic and they can talk. Mm -hmm. So it masks other things. Those are three reasons off the top of my head, but I'll, I'll let Stacy <laughs> get her two cents since I've been talking for about no, five minutes straight. I love those reasons. Uh, I will, I will say that one of the, you know, it's really interesting when I started, you know, this journey on understanding how passionate I was and my purpose for working within the autism community. We did not use functioning labels. It was just autistic or. Asperger's, right? It was those two. No one really said high or low per se. And then I remember when they started mentioning the high and the low, and I was like, why are they saying that? I don't understand that. And then of course it was, oh, you know, they can talk exactly what you said. But one of the things that I realize, and 
Um, unfortunately, I understand a lot of parents have to work within the system. Even though functioning labels are not a clear um, uh, picture of an individual, unfortunately, it is the only way parents can get services. And, and I think, you know, the more I think about that, the more frustrated I become because if a child is born with a hearing impairment or a communication delay or uh, cerebral palsy, Down syndrome, they automatically get services. And for some reason, parents who have a child with an autism diagnosis, they have to prove that, you know, their child is tearing the house apart and, you know, having all these horrific behaviors before they can get services. And a lot of times that is why level one, two, three, low functioning, high functioning is used and necessary for parents to be able to get services and for children to be able to get services. I mean, yes, the parents, the children, they're both and the same when they're minors. But when I talk to parents, I try to help them understand um, that's not an indication of who your child is, right? And I understand that it has to be on a piece of paper for you to get speech therapy, but push it to the side. The other part that really, really, really um, is is my really gut reason for wanting, you know, why I don't like functioning labels is because when parents are given a piece of paper and someone says, your child is a level two, your child is low functioning, then parents are hopeless. They feel like that, what does that mean? My child won't be able to do anything, right? Because no one explains what autism is. Uh, and maybe that's a, another topic, but because a lot of people, a lot of even doctors don't really oh, they know have no what clue. autism is. Have no clue. I can tell you how many. I have. I can tell you that I have so many clients, mothers and dads that I work with, that are physicians, neuroscientists. They have no clue what autism is. I have two moms who are pediatricians, have no clue what autism is. Um, but the so so it bothers me when parents get this news in such a devastating way, right? With this, this, this is what they are and this is where they're going to be and this is where they're going to stay, which means they're not gonna be able to do anything according to a parent's perspective. The other part is when they say, oh, they're high functioning. Then the parents feel, oh, I can, you know, uh, get rid of the autism or maybe nobody has to know or my child is in any services, they're doing just fine or they're going to be okay, I don't need to support their needs. So both sides of getting this functioning label um, doesn't always fare out for the kids if the understanding of what the labels are, why they are used, and what autism really is, is not explained to parents. Does that make sense, Torin? No, no, it, it, exactly. It's almost like a caste system where you get a diagnosis of level two or level three, basically like, the, this is what... The ceiling for your child is yes. going to be. That's what they tell you. And the ceiling is really, really low. Yes. And to, but to be fair, when I was diagnosed, you mentioned something uh, uh, about a minute ago where you said when you started, we didn't really have functioning levels. You said Asperger's and autism. Part of that shift is because they phased out Asperger's. Asperger's served as the functioning level. Yes. yes, it did. And that got changed, I believe, in the 2013 uh, uh, DSM. Yes. 
the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, the fifth one version, right. and everything fell under the umbrella of autism. And as a result, that's when high-functioning autism was already kind of a thing, but it wasn't really, it wasn't like a set-in-stone mm-hmm. thing. That's when the functioning label started to come on heavy. Yeah. Because without Asperger's, uh, doctors and people who were autistic needed ways to, to define themselves. I remember, and I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed to admit this, when I first heard they were going to change it, when they were considering getting rid of Asperger's, me and a bunch of other people with Asperger's were pretty pissed. Mm-hmm. Because, like, now we're going to be lumped in with autistic mm-hmm. people, and our version, what we thought of autistic, what everyone thought of autistic was the meltdown videos you see. The the 60-minute special of the kid pulling his mom's arm, the mom not having enough brain cells to rub together to figure out the kid's trying to get his attention. <laughs> That's what we thought, too. Mm-hmm. That's why I say it's a bit of a supremacy mm-hmm. aspect, too. It's like, don't compare me with that person. I can talk, and I hold down a job, and I can tie my shoes, and things like that. Like, that means anything. So that, that, that's part of the reason. That, that's where it came through is once they phased out Asperger's. Mm-hmm. The second thing is, like you said, when I was diagnosed, I was diagnosed as Asperger's, which just think Asperger's, parentheses, high functioning. That's essentially what it stood for. Yet, they still basically told me the ceiling was pretty low. Because mm. back then, too, and a lot of people in the autism community, they talk about the supremacy aspect, but when I was diagnosed in 2008, that was before the Big Bang Theory. That was before Asperger's sort of... That was before Look Me in the Eye. That yeah. was before Asperger's yeah. sort of became the cool version of exactly. autism. Back then, we were just seen as being as having no social skills and, and basically just drug addicts waiting to happen, which unfortunately is a little bit closer to the reality than Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory. Yes. A lot of people... A lot of autistic people do suffer from substance abuse, and that that's a different story. And almost all of us struggle socially. But yeah, so that, that that's where, from what I saw, that's sort of where it came from. It, it's funny that you say the supremacy because that's exactly it in terms of, um, and I, I really thank you for sharing that perspective on that. Those of you with the Asperger uh, diagnosis were like, wait a minute, don't put us with those autistic people. Like, yeah, I, I remember some... Uh, dialogue about that in terms of we're the supremacy sort of feeling right and also the 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 asperger syndrome named after uh dr hans asperger's who is a literal nazi doctor yes like an actual not what like not what like liberals not what your liberal (laughs) cousins going to the ivy league school calls a nazi an actual nazi that's why no one uses it anymore that book is really good too uh i the supremacy is also um, taken on by parents. So parents will say, oh, you know, my child is high functioning. So in a support group, you know, it's sort of like, oh, you know, I don't have to worry about some of those other things that you're worried about. But at the same time, there's lots of challenges, right, that their kiddo is experiencing because their supports are not met. And they just kind of throw it off to um, you know, oh, I'm just really anxious. And I'm like, oh, you know, you're just not meeting their needs. However, uh, that's another uh, scenario. And and I will share with you uh, that years and years and years and years and years ago, I used to say that I wanted to start a school for um, students who were uh, diagnosed Asperger's because I always felt like those kids were 
not supported and very misunderstood because everyone assumed because they were talking and because they were academically proficient that they were fine. And I could see, of course, the challenges. That's why I was called in to work with them. But no one understood them. And I always said, you know, like my student Romalis, you know, he was that kiddo. And um, it's like trying to fit, what is it, a square peg in a round hole? A round peg into a square round hole. A round peg in a square hole. And... Or it might be a square a peg, peg in a round hole. hole. Yeah, it's square peg into a round hole. <laughs> so, but I remember saying, I want to, I want to do something for these students because... No one is understanding that they need supports and no one is understanding what they need because they're not in the corner, you know, banging their head on the wall, playing with their spit, um, because that's what people back then saw autism as. I mean, that's, that was the reality. That's what people still see autism yes, as, unfortunately. Yes, 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 um, unfortunately. But hopefully less people then, then uh, or should I say, hopefully more folks see it differently now than they did before. Uh but in terms of, I'd like to know your opinion uh, in terms of schools putting children, grouping children in classrooms or segregated schools um, specific to autism based on functioning labels. Because a lot of schools do decide this is a classroom for kids who are low functioning. This is a classroom. And now they're doing the political correct version of more support needs, less support needs, which is the same thing. Um, yeah, I, I'm not a fan of, and we were going to go into that. Um, I'll answer your question in, in, in a second. But like a politician, I'm going to first do, redirect the conversation to avoid answering the question. <laughs> I, I'm not a fan of high and low support needs either. Mm -hmm. Which is a lot of people in the autism in the autism community uh, are big fans of that say I have high support needs, I have low support needs. While that's better, it's still not good because what does high support needs or low support needs mm -hmm. really mean? Mm -hmm. And it also varies day by day. And I'll get back to that. But to answer your question, obviously schools should not do that <laughs> because what. Like like we keep saying, what they're basing the high and low support needs or the high and low functioning is, it's communication abilities. Yes. Not an autism mom actually today on Twitter said that after three years of fighting, she finally got her nonverbal, she was two autistic kids, one verbal, one nonverbal, twins. And she got the nonverbal twin into inclusive, into, uh, inclusive education because mm -hmm. for a long time they, they, they didn't want to put him there even though academically he, he was up to snuff mm -hmm. because he's nonverbal. Mm -hmm. Because that's they're basing it on. They're basing it on communication. To circle that back to um, what I was saying about high and low support needs and what does that mean, it really varies per day. For example, and a, a little bit about me. So, as you know, I do this podcast. I'm relatively articulate. I have a job. I've lived on my... I'm 29. I've lived on my own for about the last decade, which is actually... Better than average in a place like New York City where the rent cost of living is quite high. So it, it's very common to see people in their 30s still living with their parents. That's actually above average even for neurotypicals that I've lived on my own for the last decade. Um, I write. I write for a living. I, I pay for my writing. Most of the people in my creative writing major 
can't say that that they get that they get paid consistently for their writing. Um, I work with Stacy, who is probably the best autism therapist overall in the world, in my opinion, at least in the English speaking world. Um, I I write screenplays. Some of these screenplays are being considered for awards right now. I would I'm someone where you would consider high functioning by any metric by mm-hmm. a neuro, by a neurotypicals metric. By anybody's metric, you would say I'm doing pretty well in terms of I, I kind of have my stuff together. Yet there are days, a lot of days, where I'm standing in front of the bathroom mirror with toothpaste in one hand, toothbrush in the other, and going, "What the hell am I supposed to do with this?" There are days I can't put two and two together. Mm-hmm. I have the spelling ability of a second grader, which luckily things like like word check, spell check, and things like that help with that. I have pretty much no short-term memory. The my budgeting is um, interesting. <laughs> I barely function on a day-to-day basis. There are days I wake up, take a deep breath, and go nope, and go right back to sleep mm-hmm. because I understand it's just not happening that day. I have no spoons that day. I have, when I'm at my low points, and I'm at my low points several times a week, you would think, well, this guy, this, this guy's a bum. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just being like, this guy's a bum. Like, he's not doing anything. He's not working. He's laying in bed, watching YouTube videos. I My articulation drops as I get tired. For example, a lot of what you see right now is smoke and mirrors. I get by on smoke and mirrors. I've learned how to adapt. In our last episode... Which I forget what the topic is because no short term memory. <laughs> in our last autism disabilities, that was our last episode. If you'll notice, Stacy did about eighty five percent of the talking. That's because, <clears throat> excuse me, I was low on spoons, so low that when I did the introduction, I sort of stumbled and and spoke gibberish for about the first five minutes. Realized I had no access to my words and just started asking Stacy's Stacy questions for the next 45 minutes to make it so she would do the bulk of the talking because her knowledge is so vast and deep that she can just opine for minutes at a time, which made it so I didn't have to talk <laughs> because anything that came out sounded like I, I, I couldn't speak English. That was that, that was me. No one noticed that because that was me sort of coping. Mm-hmm. Right now, I, I, I'm talking more because I have access to my words. Yet, you would call me high-functioning. No, I'm just high-functioning right at the moment. I was low-functioning when we recorded on Sunday. Mm-hmm. It really, it, 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 it's arbitrary mm-hmm. on what sort of day the autistic person is having. I've just learned a series of, and some people say, well, you're not like, not like my child. I get that a lot. You're not like my child. The thing is, I'm 29 years old. I'm going to be 30 in about a month. Your child is like six, mm-hmm. seven, eight, nine. I wasn't like this as a kid. Yes. As a kid, I had no friends. I didn't know how to tie my shoes till I was 10. I couldn't speak till I was 5. I wasn't fully potty trained till I was 7, as embarrassing as, embarrassing as that is to admit. I couldn't, you, I couldn't make a phone call, like get on the phone and actually say, hello, hi, how are you, till I was like 10. I don't even know why. I just, I just couldn't think of the words. I wasn't like I am now. I learned over time. Mm-hmm. Every autistic person has a manual on how their brain works. And it takes us varying amounts of time to learn the manual because the manual is written in moon speak. Mm-hmm. 
And it's actually not even a manual. It's really an audio book that kind of just shouts at you in a foreign language. Like, you ever listen to a crazy person on the street just scream at you in a language you don't understand? That's what the autism manual is. And that's what us autistic people and parents and caregivers of autistic people are dealing with. Mm-hmm. You have to give us time to learn the manual. So, that that's, in my opinion, that's not a good excuse. You're not like my kid. Yeah, I am. A lot of ways I am, and I was, and I still am. Boy, I tell you, I don't know how to follow that. This is why I really enjoy discussions with Torin, because he's just brilliant, and he has such a way of articulating um, to give us such great insight. Um, and I, I, I want to say thank you, Torin, for sharing those personal examples, because I think parents need to hear, and therapists need to hear, that... You know, this rush for time have to be done by five. You know, my child's low functioning, they won't be able to. My child's high high functioning, they don't need supports. And the example that you gave, if we wanted to play around with words in terms of the last time we recorded, you needed more support. So for you to get more support, you implemented a great strategy of, I'm going to ask questions. And now I can only assume, I don't know, based off of what you've told me before, in terms of how you process information, while I'm talking, it gives you time to formulate and come up with the next question. Oh, exactly. Yeah. I should have mentioned that. Exactly. That's what I'm doing. By asking you questions, mm-hmm. and because I know you can opine for minutes mm-hmm. at a time, it gives me all the time I need. And in that particular situation where I didn't have access to my words, all I needed was time to think of the next question. Yep. So you talk for three minutes. That give me three minutes to think of another question. I asked a question for, th- for less than 30 seconds, and you talk for another three minutes. And I sort of just sort of bs my way through the whole episode. That's just an example of a cope. I didn't mean to cut you no, off. But yeah, exactly. Thank you for pointing that out. That's how it works. It's a, it's a demonstration of Torn and I and the beautiful relationship we have where it just works for, for both of us. Um, and uh, oh God, I just love that. I love that example. I love that Sharon because I, I it's why I, I'm so adamant about stop using functioning labels because it is not a clear indication. It doesn't depict who your child is. It doesn't depict an autistic individual, whether your child is six or 29 or 32, right? Uh, even, you know, just listening to Torin, you know, thinking about for him to sort of go out into the world and do what everyone thinks and expects everyone to do as a 20 year old adult, it's hard work. And it takes a lot of hard work. And that's where um, where I just want parents to understand your children are working very hard. And so give them a little grace, as, as Torin always says. And just, gosh, what you said was so profound, Torin, in terms of, you're right, because parents do say that. Well, my child's not high-functioning like you. My child is low-functioning. My child is... Um, you know, intellectually delayed, which, you know, I can tell you at least 90% of the time when I have um, met parents and met their child and they say their child's intellectually delayed, I'm like, no, they're not. They just were tested on a day and the IQ test is standardized. Your child is not intellectually delayed. You cannot tell me that a child who can go and memorize a credit card and charge and order things um, online uh, and is not communicating verbally is your low functioning child. I don't even, that doesn't even like match up. I don't even know what you're talking about when, when I, when I hear those stories. Uh, and, and unfortunately the functioning labels are directly correlated to communication 
uh, verbal and behaviors and behaviors usually are related to lack of communication method because everyone's expecting and and wanting verbal um, but you know that brings up another topic which maybe can we can sort of expand on in terms of communication and how that relates to the high functioning low functioning there are many autistic individuals who are uh, you know in college doing well in school which is what people seem to set the standard for uh, and they use other means of communication besides verbal uh, can you maybe share uh, any and some folks use both you know I have a friend of mine who is a verbal communicator but she relies heavily on her AAC device because sometimes she doesn't have access to her words um, and she just prefers to use it because it's easier she can communicate more efficiently what are your thoughts around that Torin in terms of if someone is reliant on um, a technology alternative uh, method of communication and how um, that's deemed as either low functioning high functioning or maybe no one regards it as anything I'm not even sure where people stand on that well the first thing I want to say is my experience working with both my lived experience and my experience working with autistic children mostly revolved around verbal children um, so a lot of what I'm going to say is actual speculation and stuff I've heard from members of the autism community online, mm -hmm. not like personal, like in-person experience. I think a big issue, like we've been saying, and, and it can't be understated, is the idea that functioning is tied to verbal, we, you say communication, but it's verbal communication mm -hmm. and how articulate somebody is. So obviously someone who communicates partially or fully through an AAC device is going to be up against it mm -hmm. just because it doesn't matter what they're saying. They could be writing war and peace on their AAC device and they're still going to get taken, mistaken as someone who's low functioning, someone who is lacking co uh, cognitive ability compared to their age level just because they're not verbally communicating. Even people who do verbally communicate. When I was in college, I had a friend who asked me once. He was actually uh, an RA, so a, a resident assistant, the guy in charge of the floor. And he asked me, and we, 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 we played rec soccer together, like recreational soccer. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned I went to a, to a special ed school, a special education school. And he says, and we had sports teams there. And he asked, he's like, so are, are you people like allowed to drive? Mm -mm. Like, are, are you allowed to drive? And he didn't say it, like, insultingly. Yeah, he honestly wanted to know, are you allowed? Because I don't have a, I didn't have a license. Mm -hmm. And now the reason I didn't and still do not have a license is I live in Manhattan, yeah. where you can, where the traffic is so bad, you can walk faster. Yes. There's never been a need for me to get a license. Most of the people, most of the people I went to school with have licenses. And if they don't, it's because they live in Manhattan like I yes. do. He then asked, when I mentioned about sports teams, like, so were people in, like, wheelchairs? Mm -mm. Remember, we played rec soccer together. Now, I'm not athletic at all, but that's, I'm not, like, it, like, like obviously, I, I can, amb I, I, I'm ambulatory. I can use both my legs. <laughs> I have basic, like, hand-eye coordination. Clearly, the team, clearly, the school I was in had people who were capable of that, mm -hmm. like, so even when you're verbal, 
just saying autism, just because I was always free about saying I was I was Asperger's or I was autistic. Just saying that brings up all these crazy misconceptions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that's my best attempt to answer the question. The, the short end of it is I've never met someone in real life that uses an AAC device. Got it. Got it. Well, I will say, based on my experiences, I have... Um, uh, I just... I have never met a child that was autistic that we talked about, um, oh, you know what? Just, okay, my brain just went squirrel. I meant to tell you, Torrent. remember we were talking at the last podcast about other existing disabilities and how we don't like to use comorbid. Uh, I was reviewing some things uh, today for a course that I'm putting together, and I remembered, um, after getting the visual cue, Karen Rose refers to it as co-occurring. Co-occurring, So, I meant to tell you that. Which brings me to, I will say that I have met students that have co-occurring intellectual disability, but I have never met a child who was autistic and was intellectually delayed um, legitimately, right? And and I will say, based on my experience, the children that I have met who are autistic with a co-occurring intellectual disability that is a valid diagnosis typically have other stuff as well, right? They typically have like seizure disorder or they have some other um, syndrome-like things. And so there's usually a lot going on um, so I try to help parents understand that autism, or remind them that autism is not an intellectual delay. However, based on our communication skills is how people determine how intellectual we are. And I will just say that I have um, worked with, and I'm sure all of us have either worked with or gone to school with people who speak intellectually, but they are really not very bright they just are really good at regurgitating information, right? Oh, there's, there's a lot of autistic people who are good at regurgitating information, but uh, th- this quote gets attributed to Einstein. I don't know if he said it, but basically if you can't explain a concept to a six-year-old, you don't know it. Yeah. And a lot of people can't explain. Mm-hmm. They may know something, but they can't explain it to someone who doesn't know mm-hmm. it. Therefore, in my opinion, they don't know it. Yes. And... That's not an indicator of their intelligence. Yes, 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 yes. So what I, what I wanted to bring up um, in terms of, I know I kind of talked about how, you know, when parents get a functioning label of low functioning and how the expectations are then low or people are concerned about what, you know, what's going to happen with their child. When, when, when a child who is deemed high functioning, then because they are not provided with support, because people think they don't need support, then that weighs heavily on a child with having all of these expectations to meet and not even feeling like they can ask for support because everyone expects them to just suck it up and be like a new that, 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 that's a that That's a big problem. You mm-hmm. see that a lot in the autism community. Yes. And I always feel kind of estranged from those people. Some sort of in-between. So generally you get two camps. In, in the autism community, you get 
people who were verbal and therefore labeled as quote-unquote high-functioning and had all these expectations dumped on them, especially ones that did okay academically, and then those who struggle with their words, either semi or select or have selective mutism or rely entirely on alternative forms of communication, who have like no expectations. Because they're just like, oh, they can't do anything. They're robbed of their autonomy. Mm-hmm. I was sort of in the middle where I had good I had good verbal communication skills relatively early on. Because, as I said, I didn't start talking when I was five. But once I started talking, I never shut the hell up. <laughs> so people saw me after the age of five. And they're like, well, we saw articulate. He's super high functioning. But they also had no expectations of me. Because they're like, but he's also dumb as a bag of hammers. <laughs> they didn't say that. But that, that's, that's essentially the feeling. So whenever I hear, uh, t- when I ever hear stories about autistic people like who are in university who are struggling because university is rough for anybody, especially for autistic people. And they have all these expectations. I kind of can't relate to that. I'm like, wait, people expect stuff from you? <laughs> like, like they, they, they expect you to succeed? Like, people thought I'd end up in prison. That might also be because I'm black and I grew up in the projects. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much where they expect all of us to end up. So, so I never quite understood that. Mm-hmm. Not that I don't understand, but I have trouble vibing yeah. with it. Um, but I definitely empathize with it because when you do have, especially if you have the, the double whammy of being really strong academically, mm-hmm. which also doesn't mean much because the academics, especially in America, are shit, <laughs> being blunt. It's basically like I said, it's regurgitation. All you need is a really good memory for useless facts and you can basically BS your way through school. Um, and you're, you have at least some verbal articulation skills. They're going to be like, Great, this is this is gonna be a success story. This is gonna be the next genius. And they want you to go to school and they want you to major in the empirical sciences mm-hmm. and everyone looks at you and parents come over to you and this is something I did get. Parents will come over to you and sort of sort of inject their hope into you. their kid can be like mm-hmm. you. Just for the record, anybody think that you don't want your kids to turn out like me. If your kids turn out like me, you screwed up as parents. Just just, just so you know. But they, they hope, they, they kind of hope, and professors will see you, and because I had this at school too, mm-hmm. and they'll be like, oh, the, the, like the inspiration porn. It's like, oh, you overcame so mm-hmm. much. You work so, yes, you have to, yes, you have to work harder than your peers, but it's okay because that'll make you stronger. And you're just like, oh my God, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> and it, 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 it's, it's rough because there's a long winded way of saying, they're not getting the support they need because they're smart academically and they can articulate exactly. their thoughts. And I, I and, and sad. I think that's why you know, in my early, uh, earlier in my uh, career, that's why I wanted to open a school because I could see the mental health damage to those kids. I could see the struggle they had over time, where they were you know doing a lot of masking. Um, doing what everyone expected them to do, but they were not being themselves. And because they were considered high-functioning and lots and lots of mental health issues, you know? And, and, and I hate when, when we have to wait till the shit hits the fan, um, as my grandma used to say, to try to do something. Uh, I think I shared with you once before, Torin, that a lot of times when children have the high-functioning um, label then uh, because you know supports they don't parents don't think they need supports or they only need them for like a short time 
and they kind of stick them in school and oh they did really well in kindergarten oh they did really well in first grade and then I get calls you know second grade third grade when like it's just meltdown after meltdown after meltdown because they're exhausted and they can no longer mask and hold it together they can no longer walk through second third grade without their sensory needs being met and the social dynamic and the peer interaction uh, expectations have gotten higher and the kids just crash. Um, they just crash. And then now it is a behavior problem. Now it's an emotional disturbance. And it's like, no, it was always autism, but we didn't address the underlying issues. We didn't support their needs. And now we're here. And that is why we're talking about um, why we don't like functioning labels because of the damage it can do to our kids, whether it's low functioning, high functioning, whatever it is, we understand because we can't change the medical system why they're there. But we hope that after listening, we shift the narrative around not using them, not, <laughs> not, not narrative about them, right? But like not talking about them and just leaving them on that piece of paper for insurance to make sure that our children get what they need or an IEP is in place, uh, because a lot of kids, as you know, I'm quite sure, that are deemed high-functioning don't even qualify for services and support in the school, which is a huge problem. Because you, you, got, you got to earn those supports. Yes. Yep. You got to earn. Like, we're not just going to support people because it's the right mm -hmm. thing to do. No, you have to completely crash and burn yes. for us to give you support. Before we go... Because we were trying to discourage people from using functioning labels mm -hmm. and using phrases like high and low support needs as well in sort of everyday conversations, what are what do you think are some things parents can say to sort of give people ideas of where their child is at? A general idea. Like let's say so you say your child's autistic. Well, that can mean a lot because autistic is a wide range. There's a reason it's a spectrum. And spectrum is a bit of an outdated, narrow mind way of looking at it, but it is a wide umbrella. Mm -hmm. So what's some, what are some phrases or how can a parent convey the information about their child on what an average day, quote unquote, would look like to somebody when they say their child's autistic? I love that question. You guys can't see me, but I'm dancing in my seat because I'm excited. Uh, what I would say to that is, and this is what I tell parents, you simply say, my child is autistic. My child communicates through this method. They are building this method, if they are building a method. Um, sometimes they're working on two. My child um, needs these things in order to have a sensory safe environment. And these are the things that my child really either enjoys or gravitates to and blah, 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 blah. So I am of the, uh, I don't even know the word. I think it's important to just describe your child as they are your child. When you have any other child that is not autistic and I've actually tested this out with parents and I say, well, what do you tell them about your, your daughter, Bobby? Uh, you know, what do you say when they say, oh, Bobby, you say, what do you say? Oh, I tell them, you know, Bobby's a chatterbox and, you know, um, 
she just loves unicorns and you know she loves to go and the slide is her favorite thing at the park okay say the same thing about your child that's autistic just talk about the individual like they are a human being and not a checklist of items that we're looking for and not uh, what we're trying to get them to be just embrace the little human being that you have, where they are at that time, at that moment, at that day, and that's it. That's all. That's my honest answer. You know, so I, I think we should we, we should wrap it up here just because there's no top in that. That was great. And I think it's going to help a lot of people. So just to basically summarize, uh, function labels suck. Yeah. They're outdated. They're incredibly inaccurate. They're basically, all they're basically saying is how that person was that time of day mm -hmm. and how well that person can verbally articulate their thoughts. Yep. Yes. And so they, 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 they essentially mean, they mean nothing. Yes. That they're arbitrary. Just like so many things in, in, in sort of disability, in the disability space, it's arbitrary. Exactly. And I will say as my last uh, PSA, that if someone tells you that your child is low functioning and then the doctor says come back in a year you know if you do this then they may be able to be high functioning or test out of autism okay that is just ridiculous and not true and um that's not the way it works so just wanted to end that uh, if, if a doctor tells you uh, you can test out of autism. These are also, so Stacy, you know how there's like 1% of doctors that think you could take horse pace to cure COVID? Yes. That's that 1% of doctors. Though if you do a, 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 a Venn diagram of like doctors that think you can take horse pace to cure COVID and doctors think you can test out of COVID, that you could test out of autism yeah. or use like vitamin D to cure autism. Yeah. It's a circle. Yes. They're the same people. So I, I just had to jump in and say that. If any doctor tells that, get a new doctor. Yeah. Get, call your insurance company. If you have insurance, I understand it's a restriction. Call them. See, even if you have to travel to find another doctor, get a new doctor. That doctor's an idiot. They say your child can, well, maybe next year they might be, they, they might be level one. Get a new doctor. Yeah. They don't understand autism. They don't understand your child. And they're putting, one, they're putting limits on your child. And that's an absolute all its own. The idea of, of, uh, saying of placing limits on disabled people, they're placing limits. They're basically saying, this is where they will be. Yep. That's essentially when they say they have a level, when they say level one, two, and three, it's based on what they can't do mm -hmm. and what they will never be able to do. And that's BS because exactly. you don't know they're children. Yes. And that's why I don't like those labels to be used because it gives parents a, an inaccurate picture of their child. But you all know your kiddos, you know your loved ones, and they're little human beings, and just embrace them for who they are, support them where they need support, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll come back and talk about more. Right, Torin? This is good. I can't wait. I can't wait. All right, thank you all for listening, and See ya. we will be back.